0: brought to you in part by starcitygames.com not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web they're also the world's largest independent retailer for magic the
1: gathering singles and supplies for more information visit starcitygames.com
0: hello everyone and welcome to another episode of lords of limited my name is ben Warney, and joining me on the line is ethan sacks ethan we've finally drafted gills of ravnica what do you think
1: I think it's great. I had quite the roller coaster as we'll get into in a little bit of sort of like my wins and losses this week. But I have really been enjoying the ins and outs of this format. And especially the gameplay of this format has felt really deep. How about you?
0: I feel exactly the same thing. And I feel a little dirty saying it, but I have had more fun playing the games than I have drafting the format. And I mean, the drafts have been very good. But the gameplay has been very, very interesting with the exception of the Boros mirror.
1: <laughs> you mean you don't like just like I attack you, you attack me, that sort of thing? And like who's on the, the play war of the decides. Die roll? Yeah, exactly. The War of the die roll for sure. Uh, well, you've just been having a killer week. So let's check in on the trophy leaderboard. Where are you at?
0: Yeah, uh, I've drafted in every spare hour I have. And that that led up to nine drafts. Uh, in those nine drafts, I have four trophies, 22 and five overall for an 81% win rate, which I'm sure will go down as I continue to play the format.
1: Now, you are just super solid at the start of these formats, man. It's really awesome to see that. I came in hot as well. Um, but then dipped and then came back up. So I'm happy to say I am at a 67% win rate. I have 24 drafts under my belt, seven trophies and a 47 to 23 win loss record.
0: Yeah, that is super awesome. And I'm really glad that your win rate came back up. Do you feel like you changed what you were doing at all or anything like that?
1: I don't feel like I changed what I was doing at all. So I did, I don't know if it was like hard avoid green, as we said at the end of our last episode as sort of like our approach. And I think we both sort of went in with like a, I'm gonna try and not be green if I can mentality. And that was working out well for me. And then I did end up moving into green on a few decks that actually turned out pretty well because I think I understood when to move in. And I sort of felt like I started to feel that a bit more as the drafts progressed. The biggest thing that I think I upticked in, I was losing... Pretty hard with Demir at the start, and I think I sort of started to figure things out more with that deck, which we'll get into a little bit later on in the episode.
0: Awesome, yeah. I have only played green once. I've been I started with that plan, and I have stuck to it so far. Uh, I I ended up green once because I opened a Vraska, and I was gonna plan on like being Demir splash Vraska, but that option wasn't available, and I ended up base Golgari, like splashing a couple Demir cards.
1: Well, I, I I do think the power level is there for green, but I do think the stars kind of have to align for that to happen for you.
0: Yeah, I, I certainly think green's playable, and I mean we'll we'll talk about this in the episode. But you know, if you're the only green drafter, I think your deck turns out pretty well. I've lost to some good Zleni and Golgari decks in the finals.
1: Yeah, yeah, yes, I've had the exact same experience. I'm like, oh, this this is that deck I've been fearing to face, and and there it is in the finals. So we've got. Uh, A whole mess of things to outline for you. We're going to re-rank the top commons this week. We're going to look at each of the five guild archetypes and talk about what we think is going on there in a sort of broad strokes. But before we get into any of that, we really want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is the place to go to give back to the show if you so choose. The show will always be free, but we do want to make sure that we give folks an incentive to... Give back to the show if you feel like we've helped your win rate out. We helped you grind some more tickets on Magic Online. We've helped you crush some foes at your FNMs. The base level, if you want to give a dollar per episode, we give you access to Lords of Limited Discord, the place to go this first week. I tell you, that's when you want to be in the Lords of Limited Discord, the first week of a new format that's when everyone is just jamming information. This card is working for me. This deck, this is what an Izzet deck looks like. This is what a trophy deck in Golgari looks like. That has been fantastic to just keep check in on and scroll through all the messages and comments of the folks that are in the Discord. Um, we have some really awesome rewards for some higher tier donations. And we even have a stretch goal that we are very, very close to achieving. Um, so if you want to check the Patreon page to see if you want to join and get our stretch goal, which is the Lords of Limited Showdown videos. We're going to start releasing some YouTube content of me and Ben joining a draft queue together, drafting separate decks, and then facing off in a head to head match and narrating both sides you're going to hear both sides commentary figuring out what our plays are trying to read the other person i think those are going to be really really entertaining and educational videos and i'm excited to be very close to releasing those on the world every month
0: yeah everybody in the discord is like is that for us or is that for you guys and it's definitely for us a little bit too i am so psyched to start doing that with you i am looking forward to the trash talk
1: the other thing and i know we, we talk about the patreon a lot every week but i am really proud of the rewards that we are are giving away to our our patrons. One of the things that I'm really mad that we didn't do sooner is so now we have both of our tracking sheets of our like record tracking sheets with our draft logs and our deck picks. We have them in the same Google Doc now. So Ben and I can check in on each other's. That has been insanely helpful for me this week to be able to check in and see like, oh, that's the deck that he trophied with. Oh, that's the draft log for that deck. Let me see how I would have navigated that. Why weren't we doing that sooner?
0: I don't know, but it's been awesome as well. And I'm attributing a lot of my early success to that as well, because you paved the way and you had like four or five drafts done before I even got to do my first one. So I got to check yours out before I sat down. So it's like I already had a few drafts under my belt.
1: Yeah, yeah, very awesome. And we do want to make sure we shout out our new patrons each and every week. We've got a whole mess. We're very lucky to have a swarm of people coming in each and every week. So we want to thank Jotham, Zach, Jamie, Timothy, Brandon, Matthew, Matt, Samuel, Tim, Patrick, Ken, Robbie, Gatrick, Sam, Stuffy, James, David, Derek, Odin, Felix, Kyle, Nick, Robert, David, and Aaron. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Your support means so much to us.
0: Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's pretty awesome. Like the Discord is just cool. Like I was logging on today and I was just thinking, like, this happened because you and I met and we decided to
1: do this thing. And it's a really, really cool place for people to talk about magic. Yeah. And I'm really proud of it. I agree. All right, let's get right into it then. We wanna we usually say this for the end of these kinds of episodes, but I think it's important to put The context of where we are at on the top commons into talking about the guild decks in general. So we're going to dive into the top three commons in each color first, and maybe that'll give you sort of a perspective. And I I do have to say, as I was playing this week, I feel like this is the first set that we kind of got right.
0: Yeah, we did do pretty well, I think.
1: Yeah, I didn't feel like anything during this week was like, oh, man, we really missed on this card. I think we had a pretty good bead on where things were at, even during the crash course.
0: And I do think, you know, we, we swapped a couple one and two commons, or like at least you, maybe you got them right and I got them wrong and I changed to your order, I think is what <laughs> happened. But I, but I made that adjustment super quickly, like within, you know, even over the sealed weekend maybe, or like the first draft or two, I'd already just swapped the order in my head.
1: So uh, why don't you start us off here with white
0: white at number three we've got healers hawk the one drop one one flying lifelink there has been a key to my boros decks three owing or two one and i think a lot of yours and a lot of the ones i've seen in discord the ones that three oh have multiple copies of healers hawk
1: healers hawk is really surprising i think it's not embarrassing in selesnia especially because you can run like the three one three drop with mentor that's white like you could get some ways to mentor onto it in a Selesnya deck. But it is really so tough to see that on turn one because you got to use a real removal spell on that thing or it's going to get out of hand in a hurry.
0: Yep. Number two, we've got Parhelion Patrol. This is three and a white, two, three flyer with Mentor. This card is really good in Selesnya and really good in Boros. Just being able to attack in Selesnya and then convoke something out. And if you get mentor counters, great. And then in Boros, a flying threat that can mentor onto things is outstanding.
1: Yeah, totally agree. And Luminous Bonds at number one. No surprise there. That card has been great in every format it's been printed in.
0: Moving on to blue. What do we got there?
1: Uh, We've got Whisper Agent at number three. Maybe kind of cheating, but mm, we don't think so. This is the one... Blue, black, blue, black, hybrid, three drop. It's a three, two with flash. And when it enters the battlefield, you surveil one.
0: And yeah, it's amazing how much tacking surveil one onto, what was that card called? Hired Blade. It makes this so much better. This is really, really good in Demir. And I think even in it performs, because you just want a three powered creature that attacks for your three drop in it.
1: I mean, I think it's also important, the context of how this matches up to all the other creatures in the set. And it matches up pretty well. Three toughness is mostly what you have to deal with in the format outside of green so being able to trade off with those in combat to ambush those being able to get a surveil trigger at instant speed to like grow your thought bound phantasm or something like that like all of that adds up to a pretty relevant common
0: i agree three twos are good in this format and i think by extension three one threes get a little bit worse Mm -hmm. and i think as one threes get a little bit worse two ones actually get a little bit better because they are two drops that trade with the three twos.
1: Yeah, except mephitic vapors and Cosmotronic wave might have something to say about that.
0: Oh, yeah, those cards are backbreaking.
1: <laughs> uh, number two on our blue commons. I, I did come around here. I swapped mine as well, though I think it's quite close. Capture Sphere I have at number two. This is a really strong removal spell. This is the three in a blue aura with flash, enters the battlefield, taps a creature, and the creature does not untap during its controller's untap step. Just fantastic removal, even shuts off. Guild Mages, which Luminous Bonds cannot do. It is slightly awkward in the Izzet deck because Izzet really doesn't have a place for like non-spell cards that don't care about spells. Like you have your creatures that care about spells. You have your spells that are spells. And then like you don't really have room for an aura. But this card is great.
0: Yep. Very strong. And at number one, still Watcher in the Mist. Three blue blue for that three, four flyer. Surveil two card is
1: a monster. This card is, dare I say, better than Cloud Raider Sphinx was in Dominaria. Oh, it definitely is. That's absurd because that card, you that card felt very unfair in that format. And this card feels even more unfair.
0: I agree. Moving on to black at number three, I've still got, which is a little bit cheating, Whisper Agent, the one black black for the three, two. And if you're thinking it as black common, but blue, black, blue, black hybrid mana.
1: Yeah, I'm actually a little different here. I've got Burglar Rats at number three. This is the one in a black one, one enters the battlefield and your opponent discards a card. I think this card is really strong. Black doesn't have a ton of two drops, doesn't have a ton of early creatures to play. And I think you do need some early interaction in this format. And yeah, it feels kind of bad when you're just chump blocking with it. But Golgari really likes the chump blockers, doesn't mind that at all. I think if you've got a bunch of deadweights hanging around, Demir probably doesn't care much for this card. But I I do think the rats is, is versatile enough and offers enough of a good two drop in black that I'm on it as the number three common.
0: Yeah, I can see it. At number two, we're in agreement here. Deadly Visit, three black, black for the sorcery. Surveil two, kill target creature. I swapped that down to my number two pretty quickly after realizing how busted number one was, which is dead weight, single black for the enchantment. Enchanted creature gets minus two, minus two. And boy, is it efficient.
1: Oh yeah, that card is real strong. Moving on to red. Red we're pretty much in agreement here and this is pretty much where we were at but maybe shuffling a few things around number three we've got wojek bodyguard this is two in a red for the three three with mentor and can't attack or block alone shines a lot more in the boros deck than the is it deck but still fine in the is it deck if you are on the higher number of creatures in that deck but in the mentor deck this card can really get out of hand number two we've got command the storm four in a red for the instant deal five damage to target creature and surprisingly i didn't think this would happen but we move this up to number one and i am happy to see it there direct current one red red for the sorcery deal two to any target and it has jump start
0: direct current is my crush for the format that card is outstanding it's the new squire's devotion move over direct current in the house i love that card and i think the reason it's so good is that it's single colored and i think boros really really wants it and i think is it really really wants it also i think it's outstanding in both of those decks
1: yeah, that's interesting. I have it higher in is it than I have it in Boros, but I think it's a powerhouse in both decks.
0: Moving on to green. At number three, when we initially did this, I put none for green stop commons and Ethan made me put some things down. <laughs> yeah. At number three, we've got crawl foragers, four and a green for the four, four with undergrowth and you gain life equal to the number of creatures in your graveyard when it enters play. We've got vigor spore worm tied. We've got a few cards here depending. It sort of depends on what your curve looks like. We couldn't really make up our mind on these uh, five and a green for the six, four worm when it ETBs target creature gets plus X plus X and gains vigilance until end of turn equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard and this has the bristling boar claws where it can't be blocked by more than one creature which is really relevant in this format because creatures are small there's not a lot of creatures that have four power to actually trade with this one-on-one and then generous stray also in here at number three tuna green for the one two when it etbs you draw a card but with it with the tagline that it's all poop soup
1: yeah it feels kind of cheating to put three cards as our number three common but i do think that These really shift depending on what archetype you're in, depending on what support cards you have, and depending on what cards are already in your pile. And I think this sort of speaks to green's awkwardness and shallowness at the common level.
0: Yep. Number two, we've got prey upon begrudgingly as a nod to how terrible greens commons are, because I think neither you nor I wanted this in our top three commons, but I think it is there. And it's been very good for my green opponents. When my my green opponents in the finals have had good decks, I've often lost to turns where they play... Like with six mana, they play a five mana four, four and then prey upon, you know, something on my side of the battlefield. It is still an efficient removal spell if you've got bigger creatures in your opponent.
1: Right. I mean, being able to double spell, as Ben Warney has often told me, is very strong and limited and prey upon does let you do it.
0: Yep. And then at number one, still siege worm, that five green, green with convoke and for a five, five trample.
1: We've got a list here of five cards that are gold commons that we're fine first picking. I have the caveat here that these top two are really the only ones that I'm fine first picking, Um, but we've been impressed by all five of these cards. At number five, we've got Fresh-Faced Recruit. This is one and a Boros hybrid for a 2-1 that has First Strike as long as it's your turn. This card has been a fantastic two-drop in the Boros deck and a fine two-drop in an it deck when you need it. Piston Fist Cyclops, one Is it Is it hybrid for the 4-3 that has Defender, and if you've cast an Instant or Sorcery this turn, it can attack as though it didn't have Defender. 4-3 three for three is big in this format, Ben.
0: It's huge. I love Piston Fist Cyclops. At number three, we've got Whisper Agent, that one blue-black, blue-black hybrid mana for the 3-2 with Flash, Surveil one.
1: And at number two, we're looking at Hypothesisle, still the best named magic card of all time. This is three blue red for the instant. You draw two cards, and then you may discard a non land card. And if you do, you may have Hypothesis deal four damage to target creature.
0: I have won a game already from my opponent bricking on Hypothesis and drawing two lands. That's how this format is going so far
1: for me. It's a real tension there. I- I've had that happen too, where I like put Hypothesis in my decks. I'm like, oh, this is great. It's like card draw, and it is card advantage. But often the card advantage that you're left with is land. So I think you have to have a lot of jump start to be able to take advantage of those extra lands you're going to have in your hand.
0: Yeah. And at number one, the man. Oh my God. Artful takedowns. Card's a beast two blue black for the instant target creature gets minus two minus four until end of turn and tap target creature so essentially
1: kill something and gain like three to four life it's very very good i don't know why this card needed to be a common hypothesis feels very strong artful takedown feels so powerful at common
0: yep it's really really good we've also got a list of top five underrated commons that are still very very good like cards that you should be putting in your deck that are underrated and might be going criminally late right now in no particular order we've got ornery goblin one and a red for the two one and when it attacks or blocks something you get a deal one damage to that creature so it's actually awkwardly annoying on defense at times also as a two one depending on what you're facing down on the other side of the battlefield
1: especially when you're in boros like You've got like fresh faced recruit. You've maybe got like maybe I guess not healer's hawk, but maybe your goblin banneret or something like Boros is playing a lot of X1 creatures and this really brick walls a lot of them.
0: Yeah, we've also got dark blade agent one blue black for the two three. And when you surveil this gains death touch and whenever it deals damage to an opponent draw a card until end of turn card is very, very, very strong and feels great when you get a draw cards for free. I mean, Scroll Thief is one of my favorite magic cards of all time. This also
1: is like one of the only payoffs at common for Surveil. And it's a real strong payoff, especially when you think about the bounce spell unexplained disappearance that happens to have Surveil one tacked onto it.
0: Yeah, and works very well in tandem with Whisper Agent, which we've talked about quite a bit, but I still think is underrated. The one Demir hybrid mana, Demir hybrid mana for the three, two flash Surveil one, being able to flash that in and draw a card for free off an unsuspecting opponent works very nicely.
1: We've got your boy here, or girl, maybe, direct current. Uh, one red, red for the sorcery to deal two to any target with jumpstart. This card is really, really strong. I think a lot stronger than anyone thought it would be. I think people came in thinking, oh, this is like a begrudging removal spell. Like, removal's just gotten bad and limited. We have to play these awkward, clunky cards. That's not what this is. And against certain decks, this is just a brutal two for one
0: yeah this is the top red common and it's still way underrated in my opinion and it's partially i think mostly because the creatures are so small in the set like it just kills relevant creatures twice which is awesome and last my favorite card of all five of these i finally had a chance to play is it aggro sonic assault one blue red for the instant tap target creature deal two damage to an opponent and it's got jump start
1: this card is so good it's It's so good. good When you're beating down, it's also so good on defense because creatures sort of do match up pretty well. There's usually only like the one thing like a big flyer or a big trampler that is a deck is maybe having a problem with and you get to deal with that for two turns while dealing your opponent four damage. It makes all of your opponent's other attacks really awkward. It just does way more than I thought it was going to do.
0: Yeah, it's so good for any tennis players out there. I played tennis in high school and there's like a style of tennis called counterpunching. And that's like my favorite way to play tennis. And Sonic Assault is like the perfect counterpunch card. You just get to punish your opponent so hard. If they ever make the wrong plays, like if they ever get a little too greedy with their attacks yeah. or they're a little too defensive, like it just disrupts everything your opponent is trying to do so well. And then once they know about it, it, like impacts how they attack and block once it's sitting in your graveyard.
1: And that in tandem with direct current, that's a lot of burn from common cards that can also like interact in combat as well.
0: Not to mention inescapable blaze for red, red instant deal six to any target.
1: I had an opponent who had that in their deck today and they killed me with it once. And then in the game three of our match, they did the old like I had lethal the next turn. They did the old like tap six mana concede. That is such an obnoxious move to make, I think.
0: (laughs) That's hilarious.
1: All right. So hopefully that gives you a context of where we're at in terms of a bunch of cards. Ben, where are we at in terms of ranking the guilds overall?
0: Number five, Selesnya. Number four, Golgari. Number three, Boros. Number two, Demir. And number one, A Hard Is It is it has been great.
1: Yeah. I th- and I think there are great versions of all of these decks. I don't think there is like a giant gap, but I do think is it is head and shoulders above the rest. I think it has the best game against the other four decks. And I think it has enough different versions of itself that it can be more aggressive. It can be more controly It can be more spell based. It could be maybe a little bit more creature based. There's a lot of game to the is it decks in this format.
0: I agree completely. So with that out of the way, We're going to talk about just generally how we're drafting the set right now, sort of what our approach is when we sit down for our first few picks of the draft. So
1: you want to lead us off here, Ethan? Yeah, so Ben and I were talking earlier in the week, and I think we both felt this similarly. I know when you said it to me, I had already thought it, that it feels like finding your lane feels very important important in this format, much like it felt in triple Xylon. I think a lot of people felt that that was like a find your lane, stay in your lane kind of format, find your tribe, stay in your tribe kind of format. And this feels very similar. I think in the first half of pack one or, you know, most of pack one, you really want to try and figure out what signals you're receiving, what two color guild is open for your seat, maybe with a light splash. We'll look to explore five color decks in the coming weeks but for now two color guilds are extremely powerful and that's what we're looking to do
0: yeah so i would strongly encourage you if you haven't maybe to go back and listen to some of our excellent episodes because we really dove into like you know pick orders for cards and you know this is a signal pick three pick four and i'm already starting to think about that stuff and i think that's partially why i've been so successful is that I'm a, I am ai already had that experience drafting Ixalan in this manner. And it's a little easier even in guilds, I think, because first of all, there's five guilds as opposed to four tribes. So you're a little more likely to have what you're leaning towards be open. And then there's also the duels to help you splash and fill out, you know, last few slots in your deck if you need to.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I do think that there's a bit of a shift. So I think in Ixalan, you and I had sort of split up the draft into a couple sections, like picks one through three. We were really looking to take like, most powerful cards slash the most flexible cards. Like we were trying to leave ourselves open to being able to read the signals once picks four through six through seven came around to really tell us what our seat was trying to do to pick up on those signals from the players to our right here. I feel a bit more okay because I do think that those guilds have at least for this first week been presenting themselves to me pretty clearly. I feel okay. Taking powerful, high risk, high reward cards. So, powerful gold uncommons that i think are going to be really good if that guild is open and then be very willing to move off of them and that's the important caveat here that we want to really hit home for folks is you can take that powerful rare you can take that strong uncommon you could even take that as i think wizards is calling them the ccdd the like two colors from each guild uncommons you can even take those pack one pick one if that's what you feel is the most powerful card in your pack But you just also have to be very receptive to the signals you're going to receive in the next few picks. And if you take a Golgari uncommon and then Boros is open, you have to be willing to move off of that and not force it. Because moving off of it into the open guild is really what is going to lead to success. And I think has really what has been leading to our success in our more successful drafts.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. And so, in case we haven't stated it super clearly, the very first thing we're trying to do, at least for me, and I think you as well, is pick powerful, flexible. Single colored cards first, if you can, especially and prioritizing because we think is it and Demir are the two best guilds prioritizing blue or red cards, um, especially because those lead you into, you know, the top three guilds lead you into is it Demir or Boros?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think after you've done that, after you've picked strong, flexible cards, after you're then picking high-risk, high-reward cards being available to move off of them, I think then you want to look at what are the strong role players in a single color or guild. Those are going to be the like meat and potatoes commons, the Cs and C pluses that are going to fill out your deck mostly. And I think a lot of those shift, as you saw when we were talking about what we thought our top three commons were, Often number three was a flex slot. Well, if you're Izzet, it it might be this. If you're Demir, it might be this instead. So I think understanding that is really important, which is going to lead me into my last point here to sort of sum up all of this, which is that for those. Three points of picking powerful, flexible cards, picking high-risk, high-reward cards, and picking strong role players. You need a very solid pick order in your mind. You know, when we had Ari Lax on, also props to him this weekend for having a fantastic run at the GP. Props to friend of the show Amaz for top aiding the Heck GP. Yeah. Um, really, really cool to have some alumnus guests of the show crushing. We
0: taught them everything they knew. I mean, obviously,
1: <laughs> we basically just top aided a GP <laughs> this weekend. Um, congrats. Yes. Congratulations. But when Ari was on the show, he talked about really having a strong pick order, how he thought pick orders were underrated. And in this instance, I really, really agree with him being able to weigh power level differences versus how a certain pick leaves you flexible for future picks is a very complicated dance for pack one. Sometimes even pack two, I found, but mostly this shakes out in pack one. You really need to know, like this card is more rawly powerful on its own but if I end up being in this color pair it shifts down a little bit whereas if I go in this color pair it shifts up or if I've already got three five drops I need to prioritize this other thing more that kind of dance is really tough I mean just a few examples like matching up cards like Watcher of the Mist versus Nightvale Predator I think pack one, pick one. Watcher of the Mist is going to probably leave you a bit more flexible, so I'd take it even though if I knew I was in Demir, I'd obviously take the Predator. Maybe Direct Current versus Sky Knight Legionnaire. How are you matching those two cards up? I think maybe once you're in Boros, you might want to prioritize the Legionnaire. Maybe it depends how many mentor creatures you have, but pack one, pick one. Direct Current is going to be a more powerful, flexible pick. Those sorts of things are really important to have like Those tiny, tiny gradations very clear in your mind when you're navigating the draft.
0: Yeah, I have a good one for you right now. Uh, I just this was in my last draft. So pack one, pick one. Would you take Night Vale Predator or Smelt Ward Minotaur? So Smelt Ward Minotaur is the two red two three. When you cast an instant or sorcery spell, target creature and opponent controls can't block this turn and Night Vale Predator, that blue, blue, black, black, three, three, hexproof flying, death touch, menace. Also Illuminous Bonds.
1: It doesn't actually have menace. It just is a menace. I think I'd actually be on Luminous Bonds.
0: Interesting. That's what chat was asking me, too. I think Luminous Bonds is out for me because it's essentially a Boros card. So, like, Luminous Bonds in my brain right now is, is Boros. And that's, like, pretty extreme, but that's still how I'm thinking about the format. So, I was actually, like, thinking the correct pick was Ward Minotaur because that goes in two guilds I think are really good.
1: Yeah, except I've not been so impressed by Ward Minotaur. It's good, but it's not like the busted card I was hoping it was going to be.
0: Interesting. And I haven't had a chance to play with it yet. So maybe I need to move it down.
1: I also think you're discounting how splashable Luminous Bonds is.
0: Yeah, probably also true. I ended up taking Night Vale Predator and getting super punished for it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I drafted my first five color pile that I'm getting ready to play. Ooh, baby. So I I wanted to ask you here before we talked about uh, the decks, to talk about fixing, as I'm saying that Luminous Bonds is very splashable, because the gates are maybe not what I thought they would be. They're still very prevalent, obviously, as they exist in every pack. And they're very important. But I want to talk to you about them in in two different scenarios. So one, I'm wondering where you're taking them in drafts.
0: I've been taking them reasonably highly. I value like if, if I'm Boros or if I'm Demir or whatever, I value the first two like pretty highly. I want two on-color guild gates in all my two-color decks. And then especially like in Demir or Golgari, I value like the Sultai ones pretty highly because that's what I've found myself splashing most, like Demir splashing a Golgari card or two or Golgari splashing a Demir card or two because I think both those guilds are pretty controlling and their cards lend well to each archetype. Like an artful Takedowns, is a super easy splash in a Golgari deck. And then in my last, my most recent draft where I ended up five color pile, I was taking them pretty highly in pack one just because the packs were super weak and I wanted to lead myself out to like do whatever I could do. But I think in general, I'm probably overvaluing them a bit, but I do think they're going way too late.
1: I think I agree that they're going late. I also, my general feeling is that they've been a bit of an afterthought. I've only been more than two color or like two color with a very, very light splash, like once or twice in my 24 drafts. If I find what lane I'm in, I feel like I can usually rely on getting one to two on color gates by the end of the draft anyway that I don't feel like I need to prioritize them. I'm much more interested in figuring out what color pair I'm supposed to be drafting.
0: I agree. I think that's more important.
1: And then my other question, because I feel like this has come up for me a lot, when I stream, and I imagine it has for you as well, or like posting trophy decks, people have been questioning this. Where are you at on playing gates in two color decks?
0: I really like playing gates in two color decks. There's a lot of gold cards. There's a lot of like one blue, blue cards as a three drop. And I think mana mana costs are restrictive in this format. And I think playing a couple on color gates really helps smooth that out.
1: Yeah, I agree completely. I think even when I've been in aggressive decks, like a Boros deck, Obviously, if I've got the nut deck where I have a bunch of one drops, then I'm probably going to be less likely to play gates because I think those tap lands are going to hurt me. But more often than not, I have like maybe a healer's hawk and a goblin banneret, and I'm not that concerned about running one or two gates in those kinds of decks. And I'm pretty concerned about lower numbers of lands as we'll get into when we're looking at the archetypes in specifics. But like Boros, I feel like is a disaster when you flood out. So I really try and run 16 lands when I can. And I think the gates really help you be able to to do that and stick to those color requirements being high as well.
0: No, yeah, that makes sense to me. And also, you know, Boros has a lot of like gold two drops and gold three drops that you want to play. And it helps just numbers of sources that for that to be more likely to happen on curve. Yes, for sure. All right. So for our next segment, we want to do like a brief overview of each guild sort of what its overall strategy is like in a in a few sentences or so and just sort of what the best decks we've seen so far in the trophy hype in our discord are trying to do what some of the key cards for each guild is so that brings us to our first guild and our first guild actually has two different strategies we're going to take a look at is it first and they are very Clearly, two is it decks. I think. I think there's an is it aggro deck and an is it control deck. And so for is it aggro, the strategy is that it wants to be a tempo aggro deck that abuses Sonic Assault. That's the one blue red instant deal two tap a creature with high power and evasive creatures.
1: Yeah. So some of the key cards in that deck, and we're not unfortunately going to be able to like say what each card does as we. Usually do, don't want to bog down the episode too much with card text. Um, but there's a lot of strong, not only commons, but uncommons for this aggro deck. Uh, some notable uncommons, We Dragonots crackling drake some notable commons and that's i think one of the reasons this deck is so powerful is how deep its roster of commons is goblin electromancer is fantastic at at making uh you be able to double spell and get your five drop spells cheaper sonic assault as we've written many love letters to and will continue to do as well piston fist cyclops is a house maximize altitude surprisingly is great and direct current being able to chain together jumpstart spells is so so powerful just being able to like discard spells to each other or discard lands Start is a really strong mechanic, and I think this deck really takes advantage of that.
0: Yeah, the card that's impressed me most that I just from my opponents, and I've only gotten a chance to play with it once, but Goblin or Electromancer, I just would have assumed would have been largely irrelevant text in limited. And it feels very important to the success of the is it decks hypothesis costing four and Sonic Assault costing two is like really, really mm-hmm. big game. And it's just a two drop that comes out early that maybe can chip in for two, four damage. And the it especially the it aggro deck, really wants to get in as much damage as possible as early on. And word to the wise, you know, I think this is maybe the strongest deck in the format, but it is hard to play. There are so many decisions and really, really small decisions but that matter so, so, so much. Playing a land out, which card to discard for jumpstart, which jumpstart card to discard to some other jumpstart card that you're casting out of your graveyard. There's so many small, small, small decisions and the decision tree is huge. It's a very complex deck to
1: play. Someone was pointing out to me and I think this is pretty cool. So I think Izit was probably the worst deck in- Return to Ravnica and Demir was probably the worst deck in Gate Crash, And I think it's pretty cool that those are two of the best decks in this format, that they like kind of repurpose them. And Electromancer, which wasn't really exciting in RTR, really is has its time to shine now. What's the Is It Control deck look like, Ben?
0: Is It Control really wants good removal, blue card advantage, and late game finishers like Crackling Drake. That's the XXYY Is It Gold card. Uh, the O4 flyer ETB draw card and has power equal to the number of instance or sorceries in your graveyard or in exile found that out the hard way I was like why is my crackling Drake have one power and then I was like oh I already have direct current exiled so even better than I thought it was That's spell check baby so yeah some key cards for is it control crackling Drake hypothesis beacon bolt. At uncommon, all of those chemistry's insight, murmuring mystic, I think is one of the mythic uncommons of the set. Uh, that's the three and a blue for the one five. And when you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you're going to make a one one flying token card is a house. Uh, and then a common has pieces like Goblin Electromancer, direct current and command the storm. Just some solid, solid removal.
1: Yeah, I think League Guildmage in that deck also is a pretty big house, just being able to pass with, like, mana up to be like, I could counter something, I could burn something out, or I could draw a card, and... Copying spells with that is actually not that difficult, especially with Goblin Electromancer helping out.
0: Yeah. And as far as number of lands, I think, is it aggro still really wants 17 lands because you want lands to pitch to jumpstart like it's it's free, like, you know, the deck might really want 16 lands, but running the 17th is sort of nice because you hit your land drops more often and then you can pitch your excess lands to jumpstart. And I think is it control really wants 18 for the same reason Like you're going to have jumpstart that you want to pitch lands to.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because you, you do want to stop at about five or six lands and then pitch the excess off of jumpstart. But you really want to get to land number five for your Command the Storms and your hypothesisals. So I think 17 to 18 lands is right in the is it range. What does Demir look like? So Demir was a deck that I had. I was really excited about at the start obviously because I think surveil is busted in half and Demir is generally what I like to do in magic um, but this was a, a a version of that deck that was harder for me to get a handle on but I think Demir really wants to be a control deck that grinds out card advantage through surveil and two for ones. Demir has some of the most rawly powerful cards in the set and I think chaining together surveil cards is one of the most busted things to do in this format being able to like, Cast your watcher in the Mist, look at the top two cards, see a land and an unexplained disappearance, bin the land, put the disappearance on top, then you get to surveil again. And then, hopefully, if you've done it right, then you have some of those surveil payoffs in play. You're growing your phantasms, you're returning disinformation campaign back to your hand, God forbid, anything like that. You're turning your Dark Blade agents into Death Touch Ophidians, that sort of thing. Um, all of that feels really synergistic and, and very powerful to me. So, some of the key cards. I think just Tamir has access to some of the best removal in the format, your Deadweight, your Deadly Visit, your Price of Fame, your Capture Sphere, your Unexplained Disappearance. It's just a lot of cheap interaction, a lot of strong removal, a lot of catch-all removal that Demir has access to. And then you're looking for your Surveil payoffs, as I talked about before. Artful Takedown, another great removal spell, all of that. Anything that says Surveil minus Barrier of Bones, the single black O3 wall. I think anything that says Surveil is really, really worth playing. I think we're even higher, at least I am, pretty high on Thought Erasure. That's the blue-black Thoughtseize variant with Surveil 1. I mean, tacking on Surveil 1 to that makes it not even a terrible top deck, but it also is just a good interactive two-drop for Demir, which I think sort of struggles in that vein.
0: Yes. And you know, on Twitch, I always talk about supporting people's right to concede. There is no worse feeling than your opponent playing Watcher in the Mist or Deadly Visit and going top top. Like I just, I just want to (laughs) concede. Like if I'm slightly behind, and they do that to me and they go top top, like I just
1: feel like the game's over. This is one of the reasons that Demir is so, so powerful. If you're at any position other than like incredibly behind, chaining surveil or topping with surveil or binning two lands with surveil just feels so strong and it happens all the time with this deck yep and where are we
0: at on number of
1: lands in demir number of lands i thought that i would be hard on 18 but i think 17 to 18 is is where i'm at surveil really helps smooth out draws but again getting to land number five is crucial to be able to cast your deadly visits and your watcher in the mists so i'm more inclined to run 18 lands more often than not depending on how many surveil triggers. I think the more surveil I have, the happier I am to have that 18th land. Even if I've got like a radical idea in there, that's the jumpstart draw card spell. You can just like pitch an excess land to that, something like that. I feel like more lands more often than not is going to be what the Demir deck wants.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me. That brings us to Boros, our third guild in the power rankings. Boros is an aggro deck that wants a good low curve with quality creatures and mentor creatures at every point on the curve, backed up by removal and tricks. I think that's just like the broad statement for Boros there and then some other pointers. I found Boros decks that don't fold to Cosmatronic Wave or Mephitic Vapors are some of the best ones. So Cosmatronic Wave is the three red deal one damage to each creature your opponent controls and the creatures they control can't block this turn. And Mephitic Vapors is the two black sorcery neg one, neg one to all creatures and Surveil two. Both of those feel like fine inclusions in the main deck to me. And I think if you're Boros deck that's got, you know, too many Healer's Hawks or too many two ones or the three one mentor, sometimes you just get three for one on turn three by your opponent. Like you've gone, (laughs) you've gone Healer's Hawk into two one into three one and your opponent casts Vapors or Cosmetronic Wave and you're just sort of out of the game. So try to make sure you don't totally fold to those cards but it really doesn't feel like a traditional aggro deck. Uh, it can come out of the gate really fast and win, but mentor also really allows you to grind the mid game and set up a board where a bunch of mentor attacks are like super viable. I have found my boros decks. I've been most impressed by the staying power of boros. I've gone toe to toe with some Demir decks into like turn 12, turn 13, and was able to squeak out a win.
1: Yeah, I've had the exact same experiences. I think mentors are really cool mechanic in that regard, where you go like, all right, I don't have the attacks now, but I play another mentor creature, I draw a combat trick. And now suddenly, I have a play, I have a move I can make. Whereas I feel like previous iterations of red white aggro decks, you get to that point where you're like, I don't have an attack. And then you're just done. I don't think that's the case here.
0: I absolutely agree. So just quickly, I think, you know, I've had a lot of success with boros so far, I think three of my four trophies are boros, maybe two of the four, I don't remember, but I've had some darn good boros decks. And and, and there have been a lot of Boros decks posted in the Trophy Hype section of our Discord. And they've had a lot of things in common as far as like the creatures that are in each slot. So just the best cards at each drop uh, because your curve is really important in Boros. So one drops. Lots of the good Boros decks have Healer's Hawk and Goblin Banneret. I think those are the one drops you're looking for. Two drops. Sunhome Stalwart, Boros Challenger, and League Guildmage. And that's by far the worst of those three in my opinion. It's not really a two drop. It's more of a late game mana sink. Uh, And then also Goblin Crater Maker is one of those those two drops. It's behind the other three, I think, by a fairly significant margin. And then your three drops, you've got Blade Instructor, Wojek Bodyguard, Rock Charger, Direct Current and Sky Knight Legionnaire. Four drops, Parhelion Patrol, True Fire Captain and Hammer Dropper. And then the five drops, I think, are largely interchangeable like not super important. And you're happy with any of
1: them. I agree. I think number of lands, you really want to be on the lower side. I have been running 16 in all of my Boros decks. You're usually only playing a couple of five drops and you have few to zero, maybe mana sinks and flooding out is disastrous. So I've been leaning 16 from my Boros decks.
0: I've had 17 and been fairly okay with it, but I've also probably been valuing direct currents super highly. Most of my Boros decks have had like two to three direct currents and that makes the 17 land feel a
1: lot better. That makes a lot of sense to me. Golgari is up next. We're going to get into the green decks here, which, to be totally honest, we've had the least amount of experience with. Um, I've played a few Golgari decks. Ben, you've also played maybe one or two. I've played one Golgari deck, yeah. And Ben has not played Selesnya yet, and I've only played Selesnia once, but it was to a trophy. So you know, we're going to hope to get some more experience with those decks and get that information out to you in the the coming weeks. Um, But we've also been drawing a lot from our Discord trophy hype channel. So I feel like we've got a good grasp on what these decks want to do.
0: Well, and I would also say that I've played against like very good versions. And it's also worth like, there's a certain amount of experience to be had of just playing against your opponent's deck and like losing to it and seeing, yeah, that deck was really good. Why was that deck so good? I've been trying like, you know, I've lost to some darn good and Selesnya decks in the finals. And that's sort of where I've been drawing my information from yeah
1: i think that's totally valid as well so golgari wants to be a mid-range deck that plays a good curve of creatures with power and toughness to force trades and then take over the late game with powerful uncommons and rares i think it's less focused on undergrowth shenanigans and more on card quality and i think you want to stay away from the small creatures that just like random bears and stuff like severed strands i think you really want to take advantage of two-for-one cards like Burglar rats, like generous stray, like district guide to go find a land, things that like replace themselves or do something on their way to making their way to the graveyard to fuel undergrowth or to like Help power out larger creatures later on, I think, is really the key. So, some some strong cards Golgari Finebroker. This is the XXYY Uncommon. This card is a house. This is, I think, the only non rare source of graveyard recursion, and it's really powerful. And the fact that it's a 3 4 body for 4 mana is just bigger than a lot of stuff. It's just sort of ticking a lot of boxes in what Golgari is trying to do. Swarm Guild Mage has actually been really, really relevant. The Menace ability there is quite strong rhizome lurcher i actually had a deck today i I, before i had this deck today i sort of thought that this deck was really all about like well you just got to get good rares and good uncommons in this deck but i had a deck today that had four rhizome lurchers and it was really good again i talked about chaining together surveil spells chaining together rhizome lurchers is quite strong like casting your first one as a three three trading that off and then the next one's a four four and so on and so on that card can get out of hand pretty quickly. Crawl Foragers is good. Glaive of the Guild Pack. Again, you're trying to trade off your creatures and being able to increase their power and make them have menace to be needed to be blocked is really, really strong.
0: Yeah, the one thing that I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on in Golgari, I really don't like Generous Stray much in Golgari. Uh it's felt bad. I don't know how to explain it. But the one Golgari deck I had, I just wished I had a three-two every time. So that like I th- I kind of think Golgari wants the 3-2 vigilance more than it wants Generous Stray because if it has good attacks, great, you're dealing three damage to your opponent and you're happy about that. And if they, you know, it, it kind of makes them it forces them to trade with it. Whereas Generous Stray, you know, comes down, you draw a card, but then it's so hard for the one-two to be relevant, but if you're chumping with it, like you fall, that's how you fall behind against Boros when you're the Golgari player. I, I just want creatures that have power and toughness that can trade with Boros's cards.
1: I have not played a Vigilant Okapi yet, and I've played against it rarely. I'd be fine to say that you want Plaguecrafter more, the 3-2 that like edicts both players, or the Centipede, the 3-2 that like when it dies puts a counter on something. Maybe both of those are better than Generous stray I'm not willing to say that. The O copy is better than Generous right yet. Okay, fair enough. Uh number of lands for this deck, I think 16 to 17 has been where I've been at, and more closer to 16 than not, especially if you've got something like a district guide. Flooding out, again, in this deck is a disaster because this is a deck trying to go toe-to-toe with the control decks in the format, aka Demir, And Demir is going to really be able to out-card selection card advantage you if you flood out. So I've been leaning slightly lesser than 17 more more often than not. I think if you've got something like District Guide, if you've got Urban Utopia, if you've got Portcullis Vine, which I do want to talk about in a bit, I think that card is actually perhaps a sleeper in the format right now. You're able to run 16. And if you've got Mana Syncs or Recursion, if you've got Fine Broker, if you've got Gruesome Menagerie or Vivid Renewal, those are the rares, that can return cards from your graveyard to your hand or to the battlefield. All of that stuff, I think, might lean me towards wanting that 17th land.
0: Yeah, I, that's surprising t- for me to hear you say that Golgari wants 16 lands. I think my gut inclination would be 17 to 18.
1: I think 18 seems bad to me because of how disastrous it is to flood out. I just don't think Golgari has the tools to to use those lands a lot of the time you need a lot of mana sinks and a lot of like recursion to not feel like you're flooding out with 18 because once you get to the late game Demir's just going to wreck you in card advantage
0: sure but but golgari also gets access like you can run mephitic vapors you can run deadly visit i mean it's not like you don't get access to any surveil in golgari i don't know 17 would be i, I just 16 is surprising to me like i think m- most of my golgari decks that I draft in my head, since I don't have much experience with the archetype. We're just theory crafting here, but 17 seems to make sense to me. 16 is surprising.
1: I would just encourage you to consider 16 as an option and try and find more ways to make that feel better than not, because I think flooding is so bad in this deck. Okay, cool. What's Selesnya doing?
0: Yeah, so Selesnya really wants to be an aggro deck that plays Vigilant Threats and then convokes post-combats into larger threats ahead of schedule and then backs that up by a little bit of removal. So this really wants to be an aggro deck that snowballs out of control. That's what the best Selesnya decks have done to me, like the ones I faced in the finals. They've gone, you know, the 2-drop 2-2 Vigilance into maybe the 3-drop Wary okapi, the 3-2 Vigilance into, you know, the 5-mana 4-4 Vigilance into a Siege Worm. And all the while they're getting attacks on and then, you know, a luminous bonds or something is enough to close out the game or a prey upon is enough to close out the game. So I think Selesnya is the other aggro deck in the format besides Boros.
1: Yeah, I agree completely. I really want to hammer home this point that we're both on Selesnya being an aggro deck. Just today in Discord, I was looking at someone posting a deck and they had the uh, Centaur Peacemaker in there. That's the one green-white 3-3 three, three, that gains each player four life when it comes into play. Yep. And I think thinking about that deck in the context of what I think the best Selesnya decks are trying to do, which is snowball or which is get something out big early and take over – if you're trying to be like, I'm just going to like do my thing for a little bit and then get out my big threats in the late game. That I think is going to be a recipe for disaster against the decks that are going late. Like, is it control like Demir, like Golgari? I just think what your best strategy is, is to get your creatures out early, your fatties out early and maximize your deck towards doing that. Yeah.
0: So some key cards in Selesnya Verdani, Shieldmate, Rose, Rose, main, Rosemain. It's not Ross, it's Rose. Rosemaine. <laughs> mm hmm. Is that a typo uh, there? must be. <laughs> just like pulling Ron Burgundy every week. <laughs> <laughs> Rosemain Centaur, Conclave Cavalier, Ledev Champion, Siege Worm, Wary Okapi, Healer's Hawk, Glaive of the Guild Pack. Again, I've been very impressed by Glaive of the Guild Pack, as we're going to get to in a little bit, in yes. Selesnya and Golgari. Flower Flourish. Um, all of those key cards for Selesnya. And again, you're trying to curve out and just beat down and snowball out of control.
1: So I want to talk about Portcullis Vine here. So This is the single green O3. You can pay two, tap it, sacrifice a wall to draw a card. I think you and I both wrote this card off pretty early on as just like not what you really want to do in this format. Is that fair to say? I think so, yeah. So earlier in the week, someone in my chat was talking about watching Oracle 888, who is always at the top of the leaderboard for the uh, competitive queues, and saying that he watched them trophy three times in a row with Celesnia and... Portcullis Vine was a really strong role player in that deck. And I'm going to take a flyer on that. I mean, it doesn't really feel like that's a flyer because three trophies in a row sort of speaks for itself. But I think that card being like essentially free is what they called it because it can help convoke out your spells and then it just cashes in for a card when you don't need it anymore. Seems very strong. And I have even liked it in some of my Golgari builds for that same reason. Like you might get a Siege Worm in your your Golgari decks. You might be convoking something out, but also being able to fuel Undergrowth by itself and replace itself seems pretty good. And if it gains you two, four life along the way by blocking something, then more power to it.
0: Yeah. And where have you been at on number of lands in your Selesnya decks?
1: Again, I'm on 16 lands. Flooding out is a disaster. You may have a couple mana sinks in like the Conclave Guildmage or Ledev Champion, but your deck really wants to stop at six lands. All of your cheap creatures help you cast your expensive cards. Anyway, pork tell is fine is really nice at doing both of those things. Flower flourish. I've been really happy with, and I feel like if Selesny is open. You get this card. So flower is really the important part of this. This is the green white hybrid that finds a plains or a forest and puts it into your hand. You sort of think about like when we played ether revolt or was it Kaladesh, which one had a tune with ether in it. That was the single green that found a basic land and put it into your hand, you know, We often felt like you could run 16 lands and that and be okay. I feel like Flower Flourish does a really nice job of of both doing that Attune with ether thing and then Flourish is fantastic because it's exactly what you want to do once you've like gotten your board wide or maybe you've sold out a little bit and bam, all your creatures get plus two plus two and your opponent has some trouble in combat. So I've liked 16 lands here.
0: Yeah, makes total sense to me. And that brings us to our final segment for the show, which is cards that have overperformed and surprised us a little bit. And number one at the top of that list for me is Glaive of the Guild Pact. This is the two mana equipment, has an equip cost of three and gives the equipped creature plus X plus O equal to the number of gates you control, as well as menace and vigilance. And I think vigilance is really the outstanding part of this card. You know, the menace is obviously super good, too. So if you're boosting a creature, you know, let's say plus two plus O, this card pulls its weight already, and anything past that is just absurd. It turns... Any 2-2, turning a 2-2 in this format into a 4-2 vigilant menace threat is really, really good because it's hard to block. Probably gonna two for one them when they block, and then also is a good blocker on defense because it has more power.
1: Yeah, I have not had the privilege yet, and that's probably just because I'm not prioritizing it highly enough. I've not had the privilege of playing with this card, but I have had the displeasure of playing against it many times, and it's really hard to deal with.
0: Yes, I've I've lost I have not played it either yet, but I've lost to it enough in the finals that it has impressed me, and I'm going to start picking it higher, similar to Pirate's Cutlass. I, I went too long without picking that higher, and this is moving up in my pick order. Yeah, I agree. It just really allows Selesnya and Golgari to grind through all of Izzet and Demir's removal and compete with them in the late game. I think it's it's really strong in those
1: decks. And what does Izzet and Demir have access to that kills an artifact? Nothing. <laughs> it's so, they're like, all right, I'll spend my five mana removal spell to kill this thing, and you go, great, I'll just move it over here. <laughs> and attack you again Passwall adept is also on this list this is one and a blue for the one three this is a one three i think we're both pretty happy to play i lost to this card today again as i will i'm sure continue to do so so one three with a very relevant ability two and a blue target creature can't be blocked this turn that doesn't require to tap to activate you can do that multiple times in a turn and being able to have a late game mana sink that turns your threats into unblockable threats that push through board stalls is fantastic and should be a one of in, I think every blue deck, probably every Demir deck. I'm not sure about is it decks just because they may not have like the creature count to get there, but, uh, that's certainly every Demir deck.
0: mephitic Vapors up next is just a good card. That's the two and a black for the sorcery. Neg one, neg one to every creature and Surveil two. I'm happy to main deck the first copy in any black deck. It almost always trades for at least a card and just randomly crushes some Boros decks and some Izzet decks.
1: Cosmetronic Wave on here for the same reasons. Three and a red for the sorcery. Deal one to each creature your opponent controls and creatures your opponent's control can't block this turn. Both halves of that card have been quite relevant this week
0: next up sonic assault please don't let this card wheel or do and i'll keep taking it and trying to draft is it aggro it's one blue red for the instant tap turret creature deal two damage to the creature's controller this is outstanding and is it aggro pushes so much damage
1: yeah goblin electromancer we're just writing love letters to is it this week has been fantastic so good in both versions of the is it decks
0: and last Goblin Banneret, the one drop one, one with mentor and a one and a red smoke breathing patent pending plus two plus oh until end of turn. You nailed this one in the set review. I was a doubter. Uh, it has definitely performed and moved up in my pick order.
1: In your defense, I was high on all four of the Boris one drops and really only two of them got there, I think.
0: Yep. Healers Hawk and Goblin Banneret really got there. The other two I don't think did.
1: Yeah, I agree completely. Oh, man. Can I go draft now?
0: I am planning to do so as soon as we finish recording. I've got time, well, not draft, but I've got time for one game before bed.
1: Yeah, this format feels really deep, especially in the gameplay. I'm really looking forward to talking about different archetypes and what they're trying to do in more of a deeper sense. But I'm also really looking forward to getting to do some what's the plays and looking at like keeper mull decisions and sideboarding decisions. I think this format is going to offer a wealth of topics for us to talk in the coming weeks
0: absolutely thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give that a listen as well as mark your calendars october 16th tuesday coming up our 15 hour stream from 9 a.m to midnight we're going to be streaming thanks to the m19 treasure hunt being completed so early in the format guilds of ravnica i cannot imagine anything i would rather do over fall break than
1: jam 15 hours of guilds with you and try to break the format even more all i ask is that we get more trophies on my half of the stream than yours So <laughs> my sister's simple request all right if you want to get in touch with me or ben there are a variety of ways for you to do so you can check us out on twitch i am at twitch.tv slash lord tupperware ben is at twitch.tv slash mr metronome check us out on twitter under those same handles and you can also at the podcast on twitter at lord of limited
0: if you've got any questions about the show or any feedback please shoot us an email
1: at lords of limited at gmail.com if you want some more lord tupperware content action in your life you can check out my first article about guilds of ravnica on Cardsphere's blog called it's not easy being green in guilds of ravnica it should be a sweet read we'll have more articles for you in the future thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks
0: everybody see you later is CCDD why is it not AABB?
1: I, or XXYY, I have no idea, but that's what R&D is telling us it is.
0: XXYY sounds way better to me. I agree. <laughs> CCDD sounds ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so